We are on Ksubis Tes Amabez 9b1 in the first column in the Art Scroll Gemara. We mentioned in the last recording that, the, that there was this new opinion of Rabbi Lazar who said that if a person comes to court and says that uh, the day after they had sexual relations for the first time after they got married, they come to court on Thursday and they make the claim that their wife was not a virgin, that uh, there was no hymen present and he was able to go all the way through and he makes such a claim Then he has believed with regards to himself in that uh, she is now no longer allowed to stay. He, they, they cannot stay married because if uh, there's a real concern that she committed adultery and as we pointed out in uh, the last recording that this is, the Gemara says that this is limited to scenarios like the wife of a Kohen or where they already were engaged when she was already a very young uh, child, so that there's we sort of eliminate other factors that will say that they could really stay married. There's really just one issue, and so therefore we have to be stringent. Um, so uh, in such scenarios, we actually do believe him, even though says the Gemara, even though one might have thought that we shouldn't believe him. Uh, why? Because he, how certain is he? How, how much does he, he himself, how much does he know? In general, we will believe some somebody, uh, or at least we, we will tell somebody that they have to, uh, they have to live by what they, how they perceive what happened. So for example, if a person thinks that this piece of meat is not kosher, uh, but others, um, uh, you know, but it's not, it's not objective, it's just their own uh, personal uh, opinion, so then it's, it's not kosher for them. Or as we pointed out um, in the last recording, the Gemara says that if a person says that they're engaged to somebody else, the other person says it's not true, it never happened, and there are no witnesses, so then for that person who says that they were engaged, uh, so then he's now no longer allowed to marry any of the relatives because he has to live by his word, by his perception. Um, and so even though over here her, his perception might be off because how does he really know with certainty what exactly is happening? Uh, but... Nevertheless, Rabbi Lazar says that he still has to, uh, he still has to uh, live by it, and therefore they would have to get divorced. So Abaye comes along. Abaye, Omar Abaye, Abaye says, "Afa Our Mishnah is in fact a proof to Rabbi Lazar. Which Mishnah? Our very first Mishnah. What does the Mishnah say? Besula nisus liyomaravi liyomaravi in lechamishilo. That um, when marrying a besula, when marrying a virgin. So then they should get married on Wednesday and not on Thursday. Why? So that they could come to court on Thursday morning in case it's a situation where he thinks that she wasn't a virgin and therefore uh, they really, um, that there's this concern that she committed adultery. So my time, why on Wednesday as opposed to Thursday? Why did they get married on Wednesday? Because we're concerned that he will cool off, that he will forget about it. He won't come to court. If it happens on Thursday, he has to now wait till the next Monday. The courts are only in court on day on, on Monday and on Thursday. If if they end up getting married on Thursday, so then you have to wait through the weekend. By that time, he might he might cool down and he'll say, "You know what? I don't want to go to court. I want to stay married. I don't care. I want to stay married." Even though objectively, if she actually did commit adultery, they would have to get divorced. It's not up to him. He doesn't get to decide. In Jewish law, if uh, there's adultery, so then they have to get divorced. It's not their choice. Um, it's uh, it's required, so we don't want him to cool down. So therefore, get married on Wednesday, so that he doesn't cool down, and he could go to court on Thursday. So ulamai, what exactly are we concerned about? 
Let's say he cools down. If it's with regards to the ksuba, the ksuba is the amount that he took upon himself to pay to uh, uh, to um, to support her after they get divorced or after he dies. So if we're concerned that you know what he's not gonna he's not gonna come to court and tell us about this, and they're gonna continue staying married, and then they're gonna get divorced. So then he has to he has to pay the ksuba. Now, if she actually committed adultery, so then he has no requirement. They have to get divorced, and it's because of her because she committed adultery. So then uh, he would not have to to pay the financial obligation which he took upon himself at the beginning of the marriage because they had to get divorced because of what she did. She committed adultery. But if he keeps quiet and nobody knows about it, so then fine, let her let him go ahead and give the ksuba money. Let him give the money that he obligated upon himself. It's not such a big deal. So he wants to give the money. Let him give the money. So what's the reason why we say that he has to come to court? Because she's forbidden to him. They're not allowed to stay married. They're not allowed to stay married. And what is the claim that he's making in the Mishnah? He's making a certain claim. What's that claim? My love, isn't it the claim that he says that when they had sexual relations, he did not feel anything and... He didn't feel the hymen, and it was uh, what's referred to as an open entrance. It was easy to go through, and so therefore, he thinks that she was a virgin, that she was not a virgin, sorry. So, it doesn't this support Rabbalazah's ruling, this should support his ruling to say that the whole reason why they get married on Wednesday night anyways is because he's going to come to court the next day. He will make this claim of Pesach Basuach that there was no hymen present. He'll make such a claim, and the reason why he has to come to court is to make sure that they're no longer allowed to stay married to each other. So our mission should be the proof. That's the very reason why they get married on Wednesday. So that they could go to court, he could go to court on Thursday and make this a very, this, this claim. Sigmar says, no, lo, the dumim. No, that's not the claim that he's making and that's the whole reason for the Mishnah. The claim that he's making is the claim that there was no blood. It's not about the fact that he's not sure, you know, he, whether or not, uh, there was a hymen present. He doesn't, he didn't feel the hymen. Uh, and therefore, there's a lot of uncertainty there. No, the case is where he makes the claim that there was no blood after they had sexual relations. And that's more of a certain claim. That's, that's a higher level of certainty. And in terms of that claim, he doesn't see blood. That's a pretty, it's easier to figure out. And so therefore, you cannot bring your proof to Rebbe Lazar. The whole proof of Rebbe Lazar was about the, specifically about a claim where even in his own claim and his own perception, there's a lot of lack of, there's a gray area. There's a lack of clarity lack of understanding of exactly what took place. So we don't have a proof from our Mishnah because our Mishnah may not be dealing with that case where he's making such a claim. Maybe he's making a more certain claim about the fact that there was no blood present. So our Mishnah is not a proof to Rabbi Lazar. Okay, that is all Rabbi Lazar. Again, what we've done until now and in the last recording was all the opinion of Rabbi Lazar who says that the person is believed not objectively he did not believe objectively. If you were to be believed objectively, so then uh, he would not have to pay her her ksuba money because if we actually believed him objectively, so then we we think that she actually did commit a, adultery and then she shouldn't uh, get her ksuba money. We shouldn't give her her, her ksuba money. But that's not the law. That's not the law that uh, Rabbi Lazar is claiming right now. He's claiming just that he's he should be believed vis-a-vis himself. He should live by his word. And according to what he's saying, the way he understands the situation, even in a case where he really doesn't doesn't know with certainty exactly what happened, but be, but based on his own understanding, she was not a virgin, um, and as such, 
uh, they would have to get divorced because out of this concern that maybe uh, she committed adultery during that year of engagement. So now comes a separate ruling, a new ruling, not Rebbe Lazar, but the ruling of Shmuel, who says that no, that maybe this is objective. Now, it's not just vis-a-vis himself and that he has to uh, he has to live by his word, but maybe even objectively. We go so far as to say that if he makes such a claim, to say that he didn't feel uh, that there was something blocking, that he didn't feel the hymen, and he uh, doesn't think that she's a virgin, not only is he believed to say that they would have to get divorced, but he's also believed that he is to say that he, he's not obligated to pay for the ksuba. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to fulfill his financial obligation. Because she committed adultery, when she commits adultery, and we know about it, he doesn't have to. Pay, he doesn't. They have to get divorced, and he doesn't have to pay the ksuba. He doesn't have to pay the financial obligation because she's the one who's causing them to separate. How could this be? There are no witnesses. Nothing. Just by his his word alone, we're gonna we're gonna now make make her lose out on the ksuba. How could this work? This is the this is a very big question. So Rashi already points this out, and he says the reason is for as follows. What's happening here? Let's uh, let's. Let's see the bigger picture here. They get married, and there's a ruling that when they get married, you should make a big wedding. You have the whole year. You have a whole year to prepare for this wedding. Why? Because we want a very big wedding. We want an expensive, big wedding. Why? Because to limit, it's highly unlikely, highly unlikely that he's going to make this huge wedding, costing lots and lots of money. They're going to have, and he has in mind. You know what? We'll have sexual. We're doing all this so that I can get married uh, under. Um, Halacha and what halacha allows, and I'm going to cause a loophole because I'm going to say, you know what? Then I'm going to lie. I'm going to come to court and I will lie. I will say, you know what? Um, I found out uh, last night that she wasn't a virgin, and therefore, in the two scenarios that we described in the last recording, i.e., when let's say simple case of where he's a kohen, she's the wife of a kohen, and he makes the claim that you know what? I, I, th- I think that she's, she's not a virgin and because Pesach Pasuach, there was an easy opening um, and uh, because uh, I'm a Kohen, so then anything that happened during that year, even if it was under duress, we're not allowed to stay married. And I'm saying all this, why? Because I know that not only we're not allowed to stay married, but I also want to make sure that she doesn't get her Ksuba money. I'm not obligated to pay her the amount that I originally obligated upon myself. Now, a person would never do that. A person would never do that. It's hot, not never, but highly, highly unlikely that a person would do that. They would have spent so much money on the wedding just to get out of the ksuba. It doesn't make sense. You're, you're spending way more on the wedding than your financial obligation to her after they get divorced. It's way more. It's higher. Um, and so a person wouldn't do that the next day just to come to court just so that he could remove his obligation. Uh, they just wouldn't get married to begin with if he has this whole plan in mind. So it's highly, highly unlikely that he's lying about this. He wants to get married. In fact, according to some of the commentators, it's not really about the finances per se, but it's just psychologically. A person wants to get married. We assume that a person wants to get married. They want to live their lives with their with their wife. The, next, the very next day, after going through all of that, all the, the whole wedding and the preparations and the pictures and everything, just for the next day for him to come to court and say, you know what? We have to get divorced and I'm doing all this just to lie just so that I could get out of this uh, financial obligation. It's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. And so that's where Shmuel is coming from because there's a reason. There's a, there's a logic for us to assume that he's telling the truth. There's a reason for us to assume that he's telling the truth. Okay.
So Amr of Yosef, comes of Yosef, we're now on 9b2. Comes of Yosef and he says, My Kamash and what is Shmuel coming to teach us? We already know about this, Tanina. We have the following Mishnah. Later on, Ha'ochel Eitzel Cham of Be'yehuda Shalom Be'edim. Enu Yachol Liton Tainus Pesulam Ebnei Shem Besiachid Ima. Be'yehuda Hudu Lo Matzitoyin Abagolam Matzitoyin Ulamai. Il Osra Love Be'yehuda My Love. Essentially, the Mishnah says as follows. Rav Yossi says, we don't need Shmuel to teach this to us. We have the Mishnah. What does the Mishnah say? We've had this in the past. In the, in the place of Yehuda, in the town of you where, where, where there was Yehuda, they had the custom of the bride and the groom, during their year of engagement, of being secluded with each other. We wanted them to get to know each other in a more intimate way. And so therefore, they would be secluded with each other during that year. Okay, so if they are secluded with each other during that year, if they then have get married, and then they have sexual relations in the town of Yehuda and only in the town of Yehuda, he cannot make the claim uh, that his wife is uh, wasn't a, wasn't a virgin, and so therefore uh, he can't make such a claim. Why? Because they were already secluded. So it, it could have been with him. She could have had sexual relations with him. We would not have known uh, because they're allowed to be secluded with one another. Um, so he cannot make that claim. The implication is, says the Gemara, in Yehuda you can't make such a claim, but anywhere else, in the Galil, in the Galilee, you could make such a claim. You could make such a claim. Now what exactly is his claim? Why is he making this claim? So what is the, what, so let's, let's play this out. What is he claiming? He's claiming that his wife is not a virgin. So he comes in Yehuda and he says, my wife is not a virgin. I know from last night that, that my wife is not a virgin. So in Yehuda we'll say, okay, you were already secluded with her. What are you telling us? Of course. You, 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 you can't make any claim. But in the Galil, where they weren't secluded, the, the bride and the groom, during the year of engagement, you could make a claim. Now, if his claim is that she's committing adultery so that they can no longer stay married with each other, so then even in Yehuda, if he's coming along and he's telling us, in his own mind, again, not with witnesses, but by his own word, he's saying, I never had sexual relations with her. And I know that she's not a virgin at the time of the marriage. And I'm concerned that she committed adultery. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a, the, there's a question whether or not she committed adultery. And therefore I have to be stringent. So then even in Yehuda we should be stringent. By his own word he should be stringent. He himself is saying that uh, she, he never had sexual relations with her. So by his own word he should be prohibited to, to her even in Yehuda, even in the town of Yehuda, if he's making that claim, he should live by his word. And it should be, they, they, should, they should be forbidden to each other. There shouldn't be any difference between Yehuda and the Galil. So rather, says the Gemara, so what's the difference between Yehuda and the Galil? The difference is um, whether or not um, you, she, she, uh, she is deprived of her Ksuba money, about the amount that she gets for her Ksuba money. In Yehuda, where his claim is a weak claim, because they were secluded with each other during the year of engagement. So then, uh, in that case, uh, she doesn't lose her ksuba. But the implication is, outside of Yehuda, where they're not secluded, making such a claim would make her lose out on her ksuba, which is exactly what Shmuel said. That's exactly what Shmuel said, that uh, if you make such a claim, she loses out on her ksuba, because they would have to get divorced. We would, we would believe him, even vis-a-vis the ksuba money, and he's not obligated to pay to pay the, the financial obligation that he had initially, that when they get divorced, then he has to pay her. It doesn't exist anymore because we actually believe him to say that, uh, to say that 
she committed adultery, uh, we, or at least that she's not a virgin, and therefore there's concern that she committed adultery, um, and therefore he is, he is in fact uh, believed, even with regards to the Ksuba money. So the Gemara asks, the Katayin Taina, my love the Katayin Taina Pesach Pasuach, love the Katayin Taina Damim. So the Gemara says, is this really a proof of Shmuel? In order for this to be a proof of Shmuel, he would have to also make the claim uh, that it was, there was an opening, even though he's not sure if there was a direct opening or whether the hymen was there. It's not, it's not just 100% clear. And that would be a proof to Shmuel. The Gemara says, no. That Mishnah, which differentiates between Yehuda and the Galil, and that in the Galil, uh, she loses out on her Ksuba. In Yehuda, she doesn't lose out on her Ksuba. That in Yehuda, uh, because they're secluded during that year, his claim will not then lead to her losing out on her ksuba, on, her, on the money that she deserves after they get divorced. In the Galil, she will lose out. Maybe that's only talking about one particular case, not about Pesach Basuach, which he, he lacks clarity in, but it's really talking about a case where he says that there was no blood. Look, I could show you the sheets. There was no blood. It's something which is he knows with certainty. Either their blood was, there was blood there or there wasn't. He has more a higher level of certainty in that claim then in the claim that he says that it does, I don't I didn't feel anything I don't think uh, I don't think the hymen was there that that is that is a weaker uh, level of certainty so maybe you don't have a proof from that Mishnah because maybe that Mishnah is only talking about a case where um, where he makes a, a more certain claim but if there's a lesser claim so then maybe he wouldn't be believed with regards to the Ksuba. that's why Shmuel comes along the whole question is why do we need Shmuel no we need Shmuel for the claim for the claim that he says about Pesach that he feels that. There was, a, there was a direct opening, that there was no hymen blocking it. And even in such a scenario, it comes Shmuel along, coming along and he says that we still believe him. We believe him because why else would he spend so much money on this wedding just to, and, uh, and so much emotions and um, pre- preparations and getting involved just for the next day to come along and say, you know what, we have to get divorced and uh, I don't have to pay the super money. It must be he's telling us the truth. That's, that's the position of Shmuel. Okay, that concludes the Gemara here. We're on the bottom of Tesman Bays. We finished 9b2 as well. And in the next recording, we will begin Daf Yud Amid Aleph. We will begin 10a.